Colonel Rob Manus has a lifelong record of providing dedicated service to this nation. Having worked his way up from the enlisted ranks to full colonel, he served our country for more than 32 years. He has served as a bomber squadron commander, bomb disposal technician, Joint Chiefs of Staff Operations Officer, assisted the National Security Team with the campaign plan for the global war on terrorism. He authored the first theater nuclear war plan and served as the Vice Commander of America's largest airborne intelligence wing. Colonel Rob Manus is a true American hero. This is Rob Manus Live. 24 hours on in Washington, D.C., they're still talking about a threat beyond the clouds. In space, where modern warfare has gone before, and reportedly, Putin is going again. But whatever the truth is out there, down here, details had been thin on the ground. I can confirm that it is related to an anti-satellite capability that Russia is developing. Now, there is more. First, this is not an active capability that's been deployed. And though Russia's pursuit of this particular capability is troubling, there is no immediate threat to anyone's safety. Weaponry in space is nothing new. The American politicians who first leaked news of this development had spoken of a serious national security threat. The worry is about the risk faced by the global network of satellites, over 8,000 of them. In orbit now, the number used for communication stands at over 4,500. They include Elon Musk's Starlink network. Satellites looking down on the Earth number more than 2,000, including hundreds of military craft. And there are more than 300 navigation satellites, powering everything from maps on our phones to global shipping. The major concern is that a Russian nuclear-powered satellite could use its energy stores to send a pulse of electromagnetic energy, frying the circuits of Western satellites with the aim of leaving Russia's intact. These are pictures of Russia's defense minister visiting a company producing electronic warfare systems designed for space. The Russians haven't launched any nuclear-powered satellites uh, since the uh, late 1980s, early 1990s. But we, again, we know there is evidence that they resumed this uh, program uh, about 2014. That is when this top-secret nuclear-powered project seems to have started. Space watchers here are eyeing the potential threat. What makes more sense is the possibility of some sort of space-based jammer. That is to say, a satellite that may get up close to other satellites and try and interfere with the signals coming from them. And that perhaps there's a nuclear power source for part of that. Moscow has dismissed the claims as a ruse to engineer U.S. support for aid to Ukraine. Over time, Russia's ambition in space has evolved. Our cameras are some 12 kilometers from the pad. Today, but it looks time, different, but still in Washington, doesn't land well. James Matthews, Sky News, in Washington. Russian space nukes and America's national security. Welcome back to Training Tuesday in the Rob Manus Show, live on Patriot.tv and XSpace's simulcast. Well, Russia has space-based nuclear weapons. That's the clarion call issued by the House Armed Services Committee chairman during an attempt to get a $65 billion check sent to Ukraine and unstuck out of the House of Representatives. But one of the big questions is, 
once the truth came out that while the threat of an electromagnetic pulse or EMP, nuclear detonation in space, is existential, is that Russia has not fielded any such system yet. So we ask, what is the technology required to achieve this kind of capability? Or does it already exist? Even more importantly is another question. Why this capability and what is the risk incurred by any country that takes this step in putting nuclear weapons in orbit? Well, my guest today is retired U.S. Navy commander, F-18 Hornet weapons systems officer or backseater, a flight test officer. Uh, he's been a national reconnaissance office liaison officer uh, and an integrated project team lead for the NRO. He's a space and launch operations division director experienced. And in other words, this guy's a literal rocket science and a military space operations expert. Jason Pratt, welcome to the Rob Manus Show. Thank you, sir. It's good to be here with you and uh, looking forward to this training Tuesday. Yeah, we appreciate having you on, man. Well, well, I said a little bit about your background, but uh, but what do you what are you what are you what is your job today? Uh, and uh, and go into a little bit more depth on uh, why this audience uh, should be so privileged to have you as an instructor today on satellite nukes and all kinds of stuff like that. Well, thanks, sir. Yes. Um, so currently, I, I do work launch integration. Uh, for, for a company and uh, provide uh, support to uh, government commercial uh, space launch uh, activities. And uh, my background in uh, space operations and space acquisitions. So uh, and it looks like we've lost uh, Jason there. We'll, uh, we'll work on getting him back uh, and everything. and. Uh, while we're waiting on that, uh, what is the issue I want you all to think about with a country that puts devices like nuclear warheads into space? Think about all of the environmental concerns uh, as far as the uh, devices themselves and what the space uh, orbital environment does to them. Uh, what things have to be done to uh, provide power because none of these things work without some kind of power. Uh, how long can they last? Uh, what happens to our atmosphere if, uh, uh, if a nuclear weapon detonates above the atmosphere just far enough to be outside of it, but the, the, uh, the explosion shockwave and radiation itself penetrates the atmosphere? Does something happen? to uh, uh, this protective covering around the globe that is what makes the Earth habitable. Well, it looks like we've got Jason back. Uh, and uh, Jason, welcome back. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, that's what happens with technology, as you're well aware. Uh, uh, you were speaking a little bit about uh, more about what your background is to have this discussion. Yeah, I'm not sure where I cut off there, but uh, you know, suffice it to say, you know, as a military officer, uh, flying combat missions uh, in the air, and then uh, taking my background from from that into space, and considering the tactics and strategies and implications of uh, spaceborne assets, uh, is is then something that uh, that we did. And then I did work in both uh, unclassified and classified uh, space operations, everywhere from uh, spacecraft design, building, integration, testing, launching, and then operations as well. 
That's that's great. Uh, so let's let's get down to some tactical detail. I want I want to bring up the consolidated orbits chart and let you speak to that just as in a training instructor mode to teach people uh, about what we're talking about when it comes to orbits uh, and, and what's currently where uh, and uh, that kind of issue. Yeah, and this is this is an important chart. Uh, this is uh, even something that we have to routinely. Uh, educate our uh, our government officials about, particularly those that either uh, you know write the checks to uh, acquire uh, spacecraft or uh, the even employing them. Uh, we have specific orbital regimes, and spacecraft uh, really do not transit between those orbital regimes or specific orbits. And so I'll simplify it as uh, basically we have the low Earth orbit, uh, a medium Earth orbit, uh, which we called Leo and Mio, and then a Heo, which is a highly elliptical orbit, which kind of transits between Leo up to uh, uh, Mio or maybe even beyond uh, the next one, which would be our Geo orbit, which is geo geostationary uh, Earth or orbit. And uh, and then that, that would be the last one. And then there's specific ones of, of unique uh, cases. Um, satellites typically rotate uh, around the Earth in what we call a prograde. Uh, orbit, which means they will go from kind of the west towards the east and orbit that way, but they can also go retrograde going from east to west. And then we can also have polar orbits that go around the poles uh, in, in either direction. And then there's a few other special case uh, orbits. And uh, the orbits can be inclined at various degrees. I think there's another uh, slide there, but, but we'll stay on this one for now. Yeah, there you go. So you can see the different angles there. We call those inclinations. And those inclinations can be anywhere from uh, uh, zero to about 179 or 180 degrees. Uh, and, and that would just be um, uh, how much tilt uh, there is on those specific orbits. And again, that this chart's good. It just shows you a good rough uh, understanding of low Earth orbit being about 500 to 1200 kilometers, going out to the medium Earth orbit or MEO at 5,000 to 20,000 kilometers. And then GEO is pretty much right around the 36,000 uh, kilometer mark, uh, plus or minus just a little bit. And those orbits are important based on those uh, altitudes. Uh, those orbits are maintained based on the satellite's uh, speed or orbital velocity. And so, uh, 36,000 kilometers is unique because the speed necessary uh, to maintain that orbit matches the rotation of the Earth on its axis, and therefore those uh, uh, geostationary satellites basically stay approximately over the same location on Earth. On Earth. Uh, so if you were to look up, they would not be moving um, in any particular direction. They're just too far out to, to actually see. But most of our uh, uh, satellite TV and satellite communications uh, satellites are out there in uh, geostationary Earth orbit or geo. And so, uh, yeah, and this slide's good for showing, you know, the radius of the orbit and then the orbital speed uh, down there. And so um, the, you know, the x-axis so showing their uh, orbital altitude or the radius of their orbit and then uh, their speed on the, the negative y-axis going downward at the six o'clock and then going up towards 12 o'clock tells you uh, the orbital period. Right, so if an orbital period is 24 hours, it's or 23.9 uh, Earth hours, then it's going to stay in the same location and and rotate at the same speed as the Earth and stay uh, uh, stay stationary. And then you can see uh, like the International Space Station is is down there pretty low, uh, coming about every you know hour and a half, two hours ish, um, 
and and it's a, a, at a particular inclination. So uh, each of these regimes are important because we have 250 miles. Yes. Yep. Correct. The ISS is about 250 miles. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I just wanted to ask one more question. Uh, before we go to our audience and let them ask you a question uh, before the break, Jason, and, and and that is, so the geostationary orbit, the device is, uh, if it's looking at the Earth, it's staring at the same spot all the time, and it's rotating at the same speed as the Earth, geostationary. That's why we do that, right? If I understood that correctly? That's correct, yeah. So in geostationary specifically is um, going to be, at uh, a zero inclination. So it's going to be right on the equator. So it's not going to, to move at all. Um, you can have uh, geosynchronous satellites that are synchronized with the Earth and they're going to have a slight inclination. So they would actually carve a, a small figure eight in the sky if you could see them, but they would be maintaining a, a slight uh, inclination above and below the equator. So a lot of our, uh, again, satellite communications and um, satellite TV uh, satellites are at that geo with a small inclination, typically around three degrees, maybe as much as as 12 degrees, uh, but usually, you know, a little less than 12. So that's what allows you to get your satellite TV and you just point your antenna dish in one fixed location in the sky and you can receive your uh, satellite TV that way. Absolutely. Well, let's go over to the audience and let them ask a question uh, before we go to the break. Uh, and uh, go ahead and bring up, when we do that, go ahead and bring up the traffic congestion slide is what I call it, uh, Reagan. Uh, uh, okay, Shell, Kat, I see a hand up over there. Questions for Jason. Hopefully for Jason, because I know uh, enough about this stuff to hurt myself. <laughs> go ahead, AJ. Thank you very much, Colonel Mike. Thank you, Colonel. Uh, I have a question. On September 13th, 1985, uh, United States via uh, uh, Major Robert Pearson, who was an F-15 pilot, uh, destroyed one of its own satellites uh, to send a message to the USSR, to Moscow, that you know we we could to them also. Um, over the years. Uh, I'm just assuming, just trying to echo this off of you guys as to what you think. Maybe that lesson has been lost uh, on Moscow, or maybe they forgot about it, or they don't think we have the chops. Uh, what is your two cents on that? Thank you. Well, let him answer that question after the break, AJ. Uh, right now, we've got to take a commercial break, and we'll be right back with uh, space launch expert, spacecraft expert, Jason Pratt, here on the Rob Manus Show at Patriot.tv Live. What the question is, we've done it before and the Russians know it. We'll be right back. My story started with alcohol and I had tried going to other treatments and all I did was think about how I was not gonna drink or how I was gonna drink one more day and then stop the next day. And Katie had found a treatment I thought it was kind of hokey. I could see a couple days into it, it's like the light bulb went on with him. It's an IV infusion of all natural NAD. It saved my life and my family. We've been where you sit. The hardest part of this is making that phone call and just coming and talk to us. Joining me at the news desk now is Rebecca Walzer of WalzerWealth.com. She has been a regular guest on my TV show, Brennan House Live, for a long time. She's not just an economics expert, but she's an attorney. Rebecca, 
You have a large firm. How many people work for your firm? Just about 30, yes. 30. And yes. tell me, how can people prepare for what's coming with the, well, the end of the dollar as we know it? The end of the fiat system as we know it globally. We are moving to uh, hard asset-backed currencies again. Thank the Lord, because fiat is where we get into all the problems. When you have debt-based currency, you have debt-based problems. And the United States, unfortunately, since 2020, has not stopped spending at pandemic levels. This is systemic and it is unsustainable and it is coming to an end especially with the addition of saudi arabia and the uae to the brics nations this is what controls our petrodollar this is the threat immediately in 2024. for more information walzerwealth.com walzerwealth.com she is not your traditional financial planner find out why at walzerwealth.com Tonight, the White House is confirming a new national security threat, that Vladimir Putin's Russia is hell-bent on putting an anti-satellite system into space. The Republican chair of the House Intelligence Committee first set off alarms, and now a U.S. official tells CNN that the threat may not be a weapon designed to attack humans, but it is still cause for concern inside of the Pentagon. For more on this, I want to bring in astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's the author of Accessory to War, the Unspoken Alliance Between Astrophysics and the Military. Yeah. Hi. Scary, Thanks for having me. Scary stuff. It's all scary. Um, you have been raising concerns about this for years. So these new revelations, what do you make of where this fits in? Well, so people have been concerned forever about the militarization of space. But in fact, ever since we've had access to space, in a way it's been militarized because mm -hmm. it's been used as a high ground for spying. Right. And it turns out to be not especially useful for parking weapons that you would then deploy later. Because space, you can't just stay there, you're in orbit. And if you want to deploy a weapon, you kind of have to be near where your target is supposed to be for you to hit it. Meanwhile, we already have intercontinental ballistic missiles. Right. You can launch a missile from any place on Earth and hit any other place within 45 minutes. So space-based weaponry is, has been overplayed in, the, in, the, in movies and in yeah. our fears, but Really, another factor is, if you're going to go up and start smashing satellites, that's, uh, forgive the expression, but it's like peeing in your own bathtub because you make a mess yeah. all of space. Welcome back to the Rob Maynard Show on Patriot.tv Live, and it's Training Tuesday. We're talking with uh, space operations uh, uh, and spacecraft expert uh, and combat veteran, by the way, uh, U.S. Navy retired commander Jason Pratt. Uh, about this very issue, uh, Jason, and uh, before the break, AJ asked a, a really good question. That was a good lead into this segment, and that is, uh, we did this before in 1985 with a, a, what's called an NI satellite or ASAT uh, air-launched weapon off of an air-breathing platform. I think it was an F-15C. Uh, uh, had the Russians forgotten that? Yeah, AJ asked a great question. He's, he he was a good plant because he uh, that's a good segue uh, into uh, into this. Um, I don't plant this, questions here, so uh. <laughs> oh, it's, it it was fortuitous. Um, the you know, there's a couple uh, topics. I think uh, two points in in his question, uh, and keeping with the training Tuesday, let's do a little training first. Uh, the first is uh, you know the concept of ASATs, right? Anti-satellite weaponry, and they come in a variety of flavors. He brought up one particular one, 
uh, which we call uh, DA or direct ascent weapons. Uh, and they're essentially uh, missiles uh, with or without a warhead uh, because later on, uh, Neil will discuss the just the uh, sheer velocity of the satellites uh, traveling in space. Uh, they already contain a great deal of momentum and um, kinetic energy. So you don't need uh, necessarily an explosive to, to just completely shatter a satellite uh, on orbit. But nonetheless, uh, yes, that F-15C uh, model uh, launched a direct ascent uh, anti-satellite um, missile uh, to shoot down a satellite, one, to uh, demonstrate the capability, and two, to kind of uh, just alert the international community um, of that capability and that America possessed it. Now, since that time, uh, there have been new, several other uh, direct ascent attacks. Uh, we have um, in 2007, China did it, which uh, created a, quite a mess. And uh, the international community uh, responded pretty strongly against China for that uh, because it did create an incredible debris field uh, that we um, are tracking. We're tracking down to softball size uh, pieces uh, that resulted from that uh, that destruction of their satellite, which then puts every other satellite uh, in um, in danger. So you can consider just the size of a pea traveling at the speeds uh, that are going on in space there. A pea-sized piece of a satellite carries as much momentum as a cannonball uh, shot out of a cannon. And so very significant. And we get smaller pieces that impact the space station and uh, leave pretty good-sized uh, divots in, in the windows and, and other parts of you know, the of that uh, spacecraft. So that's a big concern. Um, other weapons though to be considering are uh, not just those direct ascent, um, but also directed energy, laser beams um, and, and RF energy. Uh, EMP could be considered a directed energy uh, weapon potentially, uh, but it tends to be a, more of a shotgun than a, a sharpshooter than a rifle. Um, there's also jamming of both uplink and downlink signals uh, that are going up to the satellite or coming down. So those would be command and control or uh, programming or mission directions going up to the satellite, and then mission data and telemetry coming down from the satellites. So you could jam either one or both, and that would uh, cause some uh, difficulties for the spacecraft. And then you also have cyber attacks that could uh, attack the, the specific spacecraft or the ground station. Uh, and then you also have kinetic attacks or cyber attacks against the ground stations uh, that are either used for uh, the mission right. data or for uh, controlling this, you know, flying the spacecraft. So um, those are all uh, relevant yeah. uh, types of ASAT technology that we need to be concerned about. Um, now, you know, the, uh, this is this, the this desire, this desire is even much older than that, right? Especially when it comes to nukes. Uh, I mean, uh, Operation Starfish Prime, which was conducted by us, I think, uh, uh, the year after I was born. It, so I was one year old. That's how that's how old this this effort is to to be able to smash stuff up in space. Uh, uh, what was that, uh, and uh, what did we learn from that operation? Yeah, that was um, that was impressive. That was in 1962. Yeah. Um, happened out of the Pacific. A uh, a missile, a nuclear missile. I forget the yield was launched uh, larger than what hit Hiroshima, and uh, that was exploded in uh, low Earth orbit. And uh, you know the effects of it were kind of studied, uh, and and studied actually for many years, even even till today. The the after effects are still uh, somewhat present. Um, it, it caused, uh, you know, a kind of a geomagnetic uh, storm, if you will, uh, resulting from the nuclear blast and the EMP that uh, 
that resulted. And that did in fact uh, impact uh, spacecraft. There weren't a whole lot. I think there were only like, there were less than a dozen spacecraft on orbit at the time, but it did affect a number of America's own spacecraft. And, and that's where we found out the uh, impact of a nuclear detonation and uh, the magnetic and, and radio waves that uh, resulted and get kind of captured within the magnetic uh, sphere of our of our planet and kind of continues to travel for for decades after. And so it does create uh, some problems, uh, some some additional considerations, though, is that and it did impact the, the design and build of spacecraft. They're more uh, hardened. Uh, basically, the the environment that all satellites are living in outside, particularly the Van Allen belt, which was in one of the slides there, it, is very inhospitable. It's a very uh, a treacherous environment, both uh, thermally uh, with the temperatures, both positive, uh, as hot as your oven, and then negative, colder than any refrigerator on Earth. And um, there we go. I think that the, I forget which one, does it show the Van Allen belt? I think I sent one that had the Van Allen belt. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, um, you know, that environment's very inhospitable, very dangerous. And so, you know, we've hardened satellites. Some satellites could take a great deal um, of it, but again, that that's costly in all the components that go into it. And some are less uh, fortified. So they can they can succumb to uh, even solar storms um, and while others do not. Um, additionally, as a, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a result. There you go, the inner Van Allen belts on this one. Um, yeah, so as a result, maybe of that Starfish uh, um, Prime uh, test, there's something that uh, has been um, studied a little bit, has presented itself as a, as a problem for satellites. And I think I have another picture of that, and that's called the South Atlantic Anomaly. The South Atlantic Anomaly, there it is, is a concentration of um, a, a magnetic and uh, electromagnetic uh, field that, that changes. Um, we're not sure exactly how, that's why it's called an anomaly. It changes apparently with weather, with our magnetic um, magnetosphere, as well as maybe with solar storms. And, and maybe that was something that was captured um, as a result of the Starfish Prime. I, I haven't heard any real um, hypotheses as to what causes that, but nonetheless, that South Atlantic anomaly or the SAA is a real thing. And typically uh, satellites will fly through that and um, may experience uh, some kind of anomaly itself. And it may uh, miss some communications, either receiving or transmitting. Sometimes we get something called an SEU or a single event upset where uh, the satellite uh, takes a one and turns it to a zero or a zero and turns it to one. And that may turn off or on certain um, parts of the satellite, maybe heaters, maybe transmitters, maybe uh, parts of payloads or, or other things. And so that can cause the satellite to go into um, an anomaly or a safeguard uh, state. And sometimes you have to kind of reboot it as if, uh, you know, like you do your computer, you have to turn it off and turn it back on. And that, that can yeah. cause some, some problems depending on the spacecraft. So the SAA is there as well. And, and satellites have to go through that and handle that. Um, and that's essentially like traveling through a, a, a minor EMP every, every day uh, for some of them. Yeah, one of the questions I had about the Starfish Prime piece was, did we learn anything about what the nuclear detonation at 200, I think it was at 250 miles, so about the same height as the ISS, does to the atmosphere itself or, or, or make, be able to make any predictions about what even larger weapons would do or at various altitudes 
since uh, the nuclear detonation is not going to be a debris wave, it's going to be more primarily it's going to be a, a pure explosive and radio and radiation wave as it hits that atmosphere. Uh, did we learn anything about that? It, it just yeah, bodes, sure. bodes a bad I look brain about you know this this risk is really high. Yeah, we sure did. It, it impacted Hawaii uh, and the west coast of America, and then later on uh, larger parts of America and uh, maybe even South America. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of technology that that was going to be as as largely affected as it today, but but radio certainly were impacted, and and some TV stations and things like that. Anything that required uh, RF uh, energy today, that's pretty much everything. Um, medical devices, uh, our trade, our TV, our entertainment, uh, communications devices, everywhere from radio, cell phones, uh, emergency, uh, medical, you name it. It's it's across the board and prevalent. And so, yes, we and the international community certainly did learn, I think, a very strong, powerful lesson. And, you know, America was not too popular uh, after the, the fact and for, for conducting that, but uh, it did prove out uh, the the capability, the threat, and the reality of a uh, an EMP, and uh, just what happens when a nuclear device is is detonated on orbit. And so, I think in large, the uh, the international community uh, is not terribly interested, really, in exploring that further. And I think um, Neil deGrasse Tyson pointed out there's other ways, and I pointed out other ASAT technologies other than than blowing stuff up uh, or or impacting satellites, creating huge debris fields because they will impact your satellites as well. So if Russia does this, it will by, by you know certainly affect all of their spacecraft, all of the spacecraft of their ally China, uh, even Iran is working on putting spacecraft up, uh, and, and the entire international community. It would affect uh, trade, commerce, uh, science, research, um, communications, uh, you name it, uh, no, uh, uh, location, so the Baidu satellites and the GLONASS satellites are the uh, Chinese and Russian equivalents of our G GPS. And the world uses all those. My, my Garmin watch right here uses all three uh, to locate uh, me and, uh, and track uh, you know, my exercise and, and things that I do. So all of these things would be dramatically impacted and uh, not to mention then the impacts of uh, terrestrial, um, uh, you know, continental uh, infrastructure that would potentially shut down their electrical grids and, and everything else that goes along with it. So um, the, the impacts on that would be very extreme, uh, both terrestrially as well as extraterrestrially. So both on earth and, and in outer space. So very significant. Um, so I don't see a, a whole lot of intelligent military strategic benefit for doing that uh, unless uh, the countries yeah, are, are willing to- That seemed to be much upside. Doesn't, doesn't seem to be much upside, Jason. Uh, I think we've got a little bit of a delay, so uh, it just doesn't seem to be much up, upside uh, to this, Jason. Well, let's take our next break, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about more of the geopolitical implications. I want to get into a little bit about this 1967 space treaty and whether Starfish Prime had an impact on why that was written and how. I'm Rob Manus on Patriot.TV Live. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, neighbor. Pat Boone here. Today, I want to help you find some peace of mind concerning your money. Like it or not, we're all living in a financial war zone. 
That's right. We're watching our hard-earned dollars get crushed by inflation. In fact, recently inflation reached its highest level in 40 years. And on top of that, cash, which has always represented freedom and privacy, is more and more being replaced by a cashless system. That's right. Powerful forces are definitely waging a war against cash. So I'm encouraging you to prepare before it's too late. Call or text the number on the screen for a free report, The Secret War on Cash from Swiss America. Discover how a few simple steps can protect your money as well as your privacy and your peace of mind. So call or text for your free report, The Secret War on Cash, and make sure to mention Pat Boone sent you. Sounds rolling, all three cameras, we're good. Is there any regrets that you have in life? I, I should sit here and say, yeah, I got a lot of, yeah, I got a lot of regrets. But when I look back on my life and I understand the lives that were lost, I mean, I'm sitting here with you. And I can tell my story. Former National Security Advisor, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, pleaded guilty today for lying to the FBI. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. He was, by definition, the most dangerous possible person for Donald Trump to hire. Only brilliant military career serving 33 years. Why was he being so elusive? Mike Flynn told the truth and faced life in prison. nuclear device in a vacuum, most of the damage that you would ever have on Earth comes from a blast wave moving through the air. And if there's no air, the only damage the explosion would give you is you can get an electromagnetic pulse out of it, but or there would be sort of radiative damage. But you can but then that's so messy and so I'm just thinking militaristically. Yeah, I mean, I, you could target you could target a laser at a at a sensitive part of a satellite and dis disable it. You don't have to like blow stuff up. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is part of this, the story that I think might be confusing to people, yes. which is, what's the point? What could Russia be trying to accomplish? And I mean, with all things, we were talking about the space race earlier, there's gonna be a competitive nature of this. If you start to see Russia doing it, you're gonna start to see China and the United States. What are the implications hence, of that? Hence the birth of our space force, yeah. right? They're tasked with protecting our assets in space and making sure that our, not only protecting the pre-existing assets, but making sure that our future access to space is not denied mm. by an adversary. So this is like part of the prime directive in the service of American security. Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show on Patriot.tv Live. And uh, we're talking about Russian nukes in space on orbit uh, with uh, spacecraft and space operations leader uh, and retired U.S. Navy Commander Jason Pratt. Uh, well, Jason, uh, just before the break, we were talking and uh, I mentioned the 1967 Space Treaty and was wondering if uh, Operation Starfish Prime had an impact on the development of that treaty why it came about and what the details were in it? Yeah, it sure did. Um, that space treaty, obviously anything um, that we're you know discussing here as far as nukes in space, uh, other than nuclear power, nuclear power is certainly okay. There's, there's many satellites that uh, are still up there that have that. 
uh, capability, and they're, and they're particularly good for very deep space missions um, for or you know long duration type missions. But a yeah a weaponized uh, satellite with a nuclear capability would be a violation of that treaty, and uh, that treaty uh, kind of was kind of like a freedom of navigation type uh, intention behind it, uh, the ability for all nations to use space for um, their purposes and and, and freedoms. Uh, and to uh, uh, enjoy the benefits of space, such as you know our uh, navigation capabilities and and entertainment purposes, as well as research. And so that was the intent. So that would be, certainly be a violation. And uh, certainly the uh, yeah Starfish Prime uh, pro- had a lot to do with the uh, understanding and the realization that 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 was certainly needed. Something uh, to restrict any future such events. Yeah, it's. Uh... Again, seems like very high risk. Uh, maybe, you know, in the opening uh, clip and uh, uh, this one, they were talking about nuclear powered satellite. Maybe that's what the intelligence was showing uh, uh, that uh, uh, the chairman of the House Armed Service Committee uh, tried to use as a, oh my gosh, we're in big trouble and in danger immediately now, although that message fell flat because of, because of what we know about this issue. Uh, you know, I mean, this has been around a long time, uh, and uh, maybe they're looking to put a nuclear-powered satellite up with a much stronger power system to maybe, and DeGrasse mentioned it in that clip, uh, uh, maybe power a laser, an anti-satellite laser weapon on orbit. Uh, you know, it'd certainly be easier to, to have a laser on orbit than on the ground and having to shoot through the atmosphere. Uh, I'm a little bit experienced with that kind of thing, and it has a there's a dramatic attenuation effect that with altitude and atmosphere and those kind of things. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, John Kirby, or I'm sorry, Mike, Mike Turner, um, sorry, was, you know, made the announcement that, uh, you know, they were in receipt of this intelligence and uh, it, it was very concerning. So without knowing what the intelligence is, and he, he asked uh, 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 the presidency to the White House to release it, to declassify it. So I'd be curious to see what maybe specifically was it was contained in that uh, intelligence one to how uh, what's the certainty level of that intelligence or was it prognostication or presumption uh, and and yeah did this in, include actual weaponization or some other aspect of nuclear capability uh, you know nuclear can just be used for generating uh, electricity. 14th of February that that Mike Turner made that announcement and then the day later uh, John Kirby uh, came out and kind of walked it back a little bit and stressed that um, that there, no such capability currently existed and so I think that reduced a little bit some of the hysteria uh, but it was kind of a curious political um, escapade I guess on, on what was going on there so yeah it's kind of unclear uh, what the actual intentions were and what the benefit of making that announcement at the time uh, and what what the intention intentions were. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me that to to characterize this as an imminent threat when I mean even a uh, you know a retargeted ICBM shot uh, to reset the warhead to for a height of burst you know uh, the height of the explosion to the appropriate place uh, can already be done and it's a known it's a known threat and it is existential. It's important to know this if you haven't read the book thirty. Uh, or, or one second after, which is about an EMP attack on the United States. I, I encourage everybody to go find that. 
uh, find that book and read about it, uh, Jason, because it is an existential threat. Uh, and as we look at this and the technology related to it, what is the weapon of choice to counter a specific uh, satellite or set of satellites capability uh, from the average observer's perspective? It certainly doesn't look like it's nuclear detonations, when you, especially when you look at that traffic uh, picture that we've been putting up of what all everybody's satellites up there. You're going to hurt yourself as much as you hurt anybody else. Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. The, the answer to that used to be uh, to, to understand uh, the satellite orbits and understand uh, maybe their mission profile and when they were overhead. And simply you would, if you didn't want them listening, seeing or what have you, then you would just hide from them. And so you could mitigate that through, um, you know, OPSEC or, or uh, a CONOPS uh, mitigation. But that the traffic jam in space, it's so crowded up there that uh, pretty much you're you're under surveillance of one shape or form almost 24 seven. So um, to avoid it now, there's um, anything really is going to be classified at this point to, to kind of go, well, what, what do you do about it? Um, yeah, I think that's about all I can say about that. <laughs> that well, let's go over to our, our uh, live audience and see if we've got a question. Uh, Kat and Shell, I, I think I see a hand up over there. Yeah, that would be me. Um, about a week ago, we had that thing with the alleged solar flares. I say that because not everybody believes it, where cell phone service was knocked out for multiple hours. And I'm making a reference specifically to what can we do as just average citizens uh, to protect ourselves against an EMP? I mean, I realize we can't stop it from happening, but is there like maybe a top three things that you would do, like have a backup satellite phone or any of those things to maybe... Um, be able to still communicate because people lost their minds that just those few hours that they didn't have cell service. I thought people were just going to completely lose it. So I'm just wondering what you guys think. Go ahead, Jason. I'll let you take your yeah, first shot I, at that. Yeah, that is a fantastic question and, and timely. So I would say number one, just preparedness, right? I think uh, American resiliency and, and general preparedness is, has in some respects gone by the wayside. So I think, uh, being prepared and not just for an EMP because the preparedness that you would put into uh, into place would protect you if there's a, a hurricane, um, a severe wi winter storm, a tornado, uh, you, uh, earthquake, uh, or a, a, a sun uh, a sunspot, you know, a, a serious solar storm. Um, we're in uh, solar storm season 25 or solar cycle 25 as it's called, and that's what we saw. It's ramping up to uh, the summer of 2025 where uh, the solar storm should be at their worst. And so we saw what's known as a an X event storm. Uh, fortunately, there were no uh, coronal mass ejections or CMEs from that, which would uh, produce a lot more or a lot of uh, what we would call heavy particles, protons in particular, heavily charged protons. So what can you do? Um, one, communications, have some communications, get an EMP bag uh, or make yourself a Faraday cage. There's some good videos out there on the internet on how to make a Faraday cage out of a trash can and, uh, and a plastic bin inside that trash can and some aluminum foil tape. So do that, uh, I, I have that, have some radios, uh, just some good UHF, VHF radios available. Uh, you can use FRS, you know, family radio service or GMRS with a, with a license. That's uh, the global um, or general mobile radio service. Uh, so have those where you can talk, uh, talk to uh, friends and family, check on them uh, or listen to NOAA and other um, 
it, it you, requires no license to listen to any frequency. So you can tune those into various frequencies and just try to get some information as far as what's going on and, and keep like, you know, maybe two radios in, in a bag or in a Faraday cage. Uh, so I think for, for that purpose, it'd be very important. I think, you know, one second after is a great read as well as Blackout Wars by uh, Dr. Peter Pry. Uh, so those are some books that would be worth uh, getting and looking into because they they provide some some good information and scenarios for you to consider. Yeah, uh, great answer and great question, Kat. Uh, of course, uh, uh, there are lots of uh, tools that we could use. And in the next segment, I want to get into. Uh, I think your site is called ToolsOfLiberty.org, uh, Jason, sure. uh, where you go into in depth on those kinds of uh, tactics, techniques, procedures, and equipment uh, and everything, because uh, it's very important that uh, everybody know, I mean, somebody as old as Jason and I, uh, we, we kind of understand this, we've studied it uh, for most of our adult lives, uh, we've read about it, we've developed war plans uh, to defend against it uh, and those kinds of things, uh, but the average citizen doesn't know that and we rely, as the cell phone panic, uh, uh, apparently there was a panic, uh, 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 shows us that most people don't really understand what's happening, uh, what the devices are, uh, as far as uh, how much they use them, what, how they rely upon them so much. Uh, and uh, maybe this show will help get some training out to folks that really didn't have a good understanding of that. Well, we've got to take our last break. Uh, so we'll be coming back with uh, uh, spacecraft and operations expert Jason Pratt to talk more about Russian nukes. And kind of my main question after all this is, what's the point before we get into uh, his uh, website company, toolsofliberty.org? I'm Rob Manus on Patriot.tv Live. We've learned through the pandemic, we can never be caught unprepared again. And so many Americans, when COVID hit, they had nothing in the house. Stores were shut down and, and doctor's offices were shut down. And even if doctors prescribed drugs, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, pharmacists wouldn't fill the prescriptions. That was a nightmare. Now the situation is much worse. We have these horrible supply chain problems. In our emergency medical kit at the wellness company, we have eight prescription drugs that are all potentially life-saving. Most people who died with COVID, they died in the hospital because they didn't receive early treatment. Every American family should have one of these. I can tell you the wellness company kit is the answer The markets are getting crazy, and now is the time to protect yourself from economic turmoil. Silver is in the headlines right now and creating lots of excitement as the price of silver is extremely attractive compared to gold. A call to Swiss America gets you the scoop on whether the silver opportunity is for real. What you'll discover will really blow your mind. Today, silver faces a huge shortage due to the rising demand by military, solar, electric cars, and computers, all of which depend on silver. 
silver. But right now, silver is priced to sell according to worldwide experts. Now, to help you get started, Swiss America is offering beautiful United States Walking Liberty Half Dollars, issued by the U.S. Mint from 1916 to 1947 and minted in 90% pure silver for a special introductory price. Limit of 250 per customer while supplies last. So call the number on your screen or visit SwissAmerica.com because now is the time to rediscover silver. that the, uh, in terms of destroying another satellite, like I said, there are already ways to do that. There are these sort of what they call kinetic kills where you can take a missile, no explosives necessary at all because the satellite's already moving 18,000 miles an hour. All you have to do is get in its way and the thing explodes. Russia's done it, China's done it, we've done it, India has done it. So to, and then you can target the satellite at will. If you're stuck in orbit, you might not be near a satellite that you want to take out. You have to wait until the orbits line up. This has just seems so inefficient. Yeah. So, so I, I'm, I'm just skeptical of how dangerous this thing can be relative to everyone's emotions attached to it. It seems to suggest that there's, there's probably some more to the story here about what's really going on. It seems like also the United States is not super concerned about this in this moment. They say this could be some years away for whatever this is to actually to be materialize right. and be deployed right. out into space, right. so, into the universe, uh, I like, say. like I said, anything that people fear of it, we already have the capability of accomplishing. Right. It's just maybe a different version of possibly a different version. Yeah. Electromagnetic pulse is interesting. You can send a, a pulse of electromagnetic energy that basically fries all electric circuits in in a and, in a region. There's some movies that have portrayed this, yeah. by the way. Uh, I, one of them was uh, Ocean's Eleven. By the oh, way, okay, okay. <laughs> they created an EMP. That's that, not the movie I thought you were going to say. No, it knocked out the power <laughs> grid to to Las Vegas, right. so they can complete their heist. But if all you right. do that, then you're taking out. You know how many satellites? There are thousands of yeah, satellites. It's a little and not all of them are just your enemy's satellite in one zone. Everybody's got satellites crossing. It's it's it should be viewed as sort of sacred international space. Yeah. And it's not, like yeah. international waters. Hence the reason why we have space force, as you pointed out. Yeah. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show on Patriot.tv Live. It's training Tuesday, and we're training on Russian nukes in space. Uh and how it uh, measures up to the American national security needs, the subject, what the weapons would do, the risk associated. And we're talking with uh, a space operations uh, expert, Jason Pratt, uh, about this issue. And Jason, Neil Tyson just, just kind of nailed it for me is, what's the point, the risk to, uh, to global navigation, comms, even trade, uh, even research stations around the world, uh, not to mention what would happen in the military and intelligence worlds uh, if the Russians decide to not just put something on orbit, but actually use it from orbit, uh, are just way out of uh, the field at the point where you'd have to be taking as much risk as launching a nuclear attack on another nuclear nation, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think, uh, yeah, Neil's uh, segment there was spot on, and and he's right. There's 
you know, why use uh, that kind of weapon when there's so many others at your disposal to, you know, like I mentioned, directed energies, um, even just cyber attacks, or you can kinetic kill a, a ground station and, um, and, or jam. You know, jamming is quite easy. That's happening right now in the Middle East all over the place. Um, Israel uh, and Syria, they've been uh, conducting uh, jamming. Uh, there, as so as um, Russia, uh, they took out uh, their own systems a little bit, jamming um, against uh, potential uh, threats against uh, Ukraine and their use of uh, Starlink and some other um, spacecraft. So uh, there are other ways to do it, and so putting a nuke in space is kind of using uh, a sledgehammer to to maybe take out an ant, uh, and not only that, but then the impacts would be global. They would be felt all the way down to third world countries. And uh, and for peaceful purposes as well. So uh, I think just strategically and tactically speaking, mostly unnecessary. And so not not clear yet what uh, what the intention would be there. So I would just kind of sit on my hands and look. Um, I would like to backtrack real quick to to one of to back to AJ's question too. I don't want the Air Force to take all the credit for uh, shooting down a satellite because the Navy did it. The Navy did it in February 2008. Uh, so. Um, Operation Burnt Frost uh, took down a satellite. It was deorbiting, so all of its energy was already kind of proceeding towards the Earth. It was uh, coming out of the sky, and and the Navy uh, used uh, it was USS Lake Erie with an SM3 was able to shoot down uh, one of our our satellites, our intelligence satellites, uh, re-entering the atmosphere, uh, and that did it in such a way that all the uh, momentum was kind of carrying already towards Earth, and so all the debris fell to Earth and didn't uh, pollute space. Um, Russia did it, uh, let's see, what was the year? Russia did it as well after China did in 2008. Russia did it in 2021, so pretty pretty recent. And uh, that debris uh, has impacted the space station, some, some small parts of it, uh, and other larger parts have gotten close to it. So Russia, with their own cosmonauts on board the International Space Station, uh, not a real smart move. And so um, that, that's, I think, uh, the, I think most of the international community as well as russia china india america the spacefaring nations uh understand that and I, I don't see that being the primary threat i see other threat vectors being more significant yeah uh yeah it makes <laughs> to those of us in the national security field it just i mean we're puzzled uh by this uh the release of the information in a panic uh so-called panic uh uh, and then once we start peeling the layers back and I, I had to refresh myself on the technology and go, okay, I'm, I'm, I know about this. I mean, the United States has been able to take out a satellite for decades, you know, uh, and uh, it, it just, uh, it's, it's uh, not earth shattering news that the superpowers of the world or near superpowers of the world would want to be able to uh, eliminate uh, their adversaries' uh, satellites and communications. Uh, the big question, like I said, is the risks are just enormous, especially for your own, you know, committing fratricide on yourself uh, and, and your own capability and equipment. I mean, this would have to be a really uh, last-ditch, uh, end-of-the-world uh, type strategy to even uh, pull the trigger on one. Say they say they got them up there. Uh, and we're able to, you know, check them operationally without conducting a nuclear test. But, you know, knowing the Russians, they will want to do a test of some sort. Uh, could you imagine uh, that somebody, another test uh, uh, outside of the atmosphere in the current, uh, especially congested traffic environment uh, and what that would do? 
Yeah, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I think a test would be catastrophic. So not a good, not a good thing. You know, being a former test pilot, that would be uh, really taking a, a test flight that would end in your, you know, obvious <laughs> demise um, without any mitigation to the risks. So I, I don't see Russia doing that. That wouldn't help them. Uh, little to gain uh, in doing that. I think you know something uh, maybe more uh, novel and, and upcoming would be uh, something we call Proxa or proximity ops, where another satellite uh, comes close to uh, a, a satellite in order to intercept it, to touch it, to grab it, to pull it, to move it, uh, to interfere with it, um, you know, various other things. So, you know, the, we saw that in uh, the comedy uh, Space Force um, that, that was on uh, a couple years ago. Uh, and to me, that would be uh, more significant because there's a real need, a legitimate need for proximity operations of satellites to extend uh, the missions of satellites, to maybe do um, on-orbit refueling, uh, maybe to tow a satellite back to its orbit, because sometimes satellites degrade their orbits and, and can't get back, uh, as well as just cleaning up uh, space junk. There's a lot of studies going on uh, to produce missions that would be able to retrieve all the space junk that's up there, rocket bodies and upper stages and separation systems and dead satellites, and, and pull them to another location. Uh, either a disposal orbit well above geo or uh, re or re-enter uh, a re-entry so they could be burned up. So, uh, but uh, masked in that could obviously be uh, military uh, interests. Uh, absolutely. So uh, you mentioned earlier, before I let you go, I want to talk about uh, your project, uh, toolsofliberty.org. You mentioned some things you could do like Faraday bags, uh, Faraday cages, uh, EMP bags, uh, the radio comms and those kind of things. Tell the folks about uh, that project and uh, what it might be able to do for them. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, so Tools of Liberty, uh, I'm just starting to build that out now, kind of based on, on, on this need and my own preparation uh, for my family and friends and loved ones. Um, so an organization I like to make people aware of is um, American Contingency. Uh, that was started by uh, former Green Beret, Mike Glover. Uh, I think that's a great organization. I'm not associated with them, uh, so I have nothing to gain from that, but I'm, I'm I'm, I will be pursuing them uh, to do more. And the intent there is to go back to our founding and see what our you know, uh, Patriot founding fathers did uh, to create a, an amazing, uh, the greatest experiment in human government and, and what we can do to keep that alive and, and uh, as well as just keep ourselves safe. You know, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough in that uh, uh, advertisement you had a very uh, app during the pandemic, people were unprepared everywhere from toilet paper to medicines. And so uh, I'll be sharing uh, some of the capabilities and offering uh, solutions for people for com communications, for food, uh, for medical care, uh, for coordination, uh, even for tactics and training.